Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Check that. Let's go 12 through 18. It's presumptuous of me trying to hit 19 and 20 today. <laughs> we'll do 12 through 18, I'm sure. We are in the middle of a study into the book of Philippians and we really have seen that our joy comes from our Savior. And so this gospel is full of joy and it's full of joy in the most difficult times and the easiest times and we'll see that today. Text reads this, verse 12, follow along as I read. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we can't quite get our mind around this text. We pray this morning that you will help us. These texts have situations and circumstances in them that are difficult for us to imagine. What is it like to be imprisoned for following the Lord Jesus Christ? Was it like to have great, exceeding great joy for suffering for him? Lord, we taste these things at best, but we do not experience these things yet. So Lord, we pray that through the word of God, the all-sufficient, the pure, infallible word of God, that you will Help us transcend into this text to understand what makes the Apostle Paul tick. And Lord, that we would not be just those who view the Apostle Paul and his joy, but we would claim this joy, that we would grasp this joy at some level today, Lord. We of all people, Lord, have much to be joyful for. So Father, help us. I pray you'd help me, Lord, strengthen my voice, strengthen my my ability to speak this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered why there's not more Apostle Pauls? Why aren't they walking around the earth more and more? Why don't we see more of these guys? Well, I think in some sense we do. They're often ministering in faraway places, doing incredible things. But Paul was a unique man. And and I I think as I studied this text this last couple weeks, 
it gave me insight into this man's life that I don't think I'd fully seen before. First, I, I noticed that there's a joyfulness about the Apostle Paul in not just difficult circumstances, but painful circumstances. In fact, they're not only painful, they're hurtful and they're life-threatening. That's why I prayed this morning. I said, Lord, it's hard for us to get our mind around this. So anybody's life threatened for the gospel this morning in this room? See, it's foreign to us. We're very free here. See, Paul lived in this, and yet joy is his theme. Throughout the epistles that he writes, the 13 known epistles that were inspired and put into the scriptures, he writes often of how joy gets robbed and he particularly goes after sin. And he conveys to us that sin robs joy. Sin doesn't rob your salvation. You can't lose your salvation if you're truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what it does rob is joy. David, when he fell into sin, said, Lord, I want my joy back. Return to me the joy of my salvation. It's what he longed back when he had fallen into sin. But Paul was a good example for us. He, he's one who doesn't hide behind things. He called himself, what, the chief of sinners, the foremost of sinners. He'll often use past tense. We all once lived in this sin. He lays his heart out on his sleeve in Romans chapter 7 and says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? See, I think one of the reasons that he has great joy is because he sees himself as one who is transparent before God. I'm a sinner. I need you, Lord. And he has great joy from these things. When sinned against, Paul believed that God had a, had a reason for that to happen. See, he really believed, Romans 8, 28, he believed that all things work together. God causes all things to work together. God does these things. He takes difficult things to bring about his purposes. Paul actually believed that. And because of that, he had great joy. Paul accepted the trouble that God sent him. Isn't that weird to say that? Paul accepted the trouble God sent him. He saw that as from the Lord. He believed the words of Christ. Jesus himself said this. Paul would have read these as they were written for him to read just as much as anybody else. Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember the word that I've said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And he believed that. He said, look, if they're persecuting the Lord Jesus and I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus and I come in right close behind him to where I wear his dust because I trail behind him, they will find me. He believed that. John chapter 16, verse 33 said this, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And it's interesting, when you study the word peace, you find joy connected to peace. All the time throughout the scripture, joy and peace seem to come together. And Jesus says, if I've spoken to these things so you'll have peace, and in the world you'll have tribulation. It's a promise from God. But take courage, what? I've overcome the world. 
I've already won the battle, but you're gonna have tribulation. The apostle understood these truths and it fueled his godly character. Paul's character didn't wane during the times of trials and I think that's most astounding to me. Does yours wane during trials when things don't go well, when the finances aren't there, when the difficulties come, the health goes south? Paul's strengthened. He's an amazing individual. He's strengthened during those times. It seemed to give him strength to fight. And he fought for his joy. He fought to cling on to Christ during times when it didn't seem like there was much to cling on to. Look at Philippians chapter 4, just the end of the, the letter. He makes statements like this, verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Future tense there in the last little phrase. I'm rejoicing now and I want you to know I will rejoice. I will rejoice. No matter, he he does this twice in this text. We're going to see where he does it today. He speaks in the future tense of his joy. Does that make sense to you? I had to wrestle with that a little bit. I rejoice now, present tense, and I will rejoice future tense. Despite the circumstances. Look with me down at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so now the Macedonia church is now giving to help him out. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he says this great verse that we always say, probably out of context, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When I don't have it, and when I do have it, I can do what God has asked me to do. See, this is what made the Apostle Paul such an amazing human figure to study. Think about Paul's current circumstances in correlation with what his desires were. He's, he's imprisoned. He's, he, he's not in a maritime prison like he is in 2 Timothy, but he is nonetheless in prison. He is in house arrest. He is chained to guards. People are free to come see him. But he desires to be with the brethren, but he can't go. Look at Romans chapter one with me. Just want to, trying to get the understanding of where he's at and his circumstances here. Romans chapter one. He's finally in Rome in Philippians. Why he's writing the book of Philippians. He's finally made it to Rome but it's not how he desired to go. Look at how he desired to go as he wrote to, to Romans, just a few, the Roman church, just uh, a few years before this. Verse nine, he said, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how increasingly I make mention of you 
always in my prayers making requests if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Here's the church in Rome. He, he knows these people. He has, he has heard of their salvation but yet God has not allowed them to come. He wants so desperately to go see them. When he finally gets to go, he's in chains. Trip didn't turn out the way he wanted. I thought, Lord, I'd be like longing to go to Hawaii, but you end up getting hitchhiked on the way. You know, and, and you never get to enjoy the beach. You're, you're somewhere and, and you're, you're captive and, and you're not free. And, and I just read those verses because they struck me this week how desperately he wanted to go to Rome and see the church there. But when he comes, he comes in chains. So plans that he had laid and prayed for did not turn out the way he had wanted them. But yet, as you study this epistle, as you turn back to Philippians, he has joy. He has joy despite the circumstances and despite how they, he thought maybe they were go. There is unmistakable joy in Paul's life. So I believe in these verses here, 12 really down through the end of this text, but 12 through 18 for this morning, will help us understand how to attain Paul's joy, how to, how to get there, how to grasp it. So let me just look at a couple of thoughts this morning. One, Paul has great joy seeing the gospel of Christ progress in chains or free. He has great joy seeing the gospel go forward to advance no matter what his circumstances are, he loves to see the gospel go forward. Look at verse 12. There's a little phrase here. It says, now I want you to know, um, the Greek's a little stronger. It's this idea of said, you gotta get this. That's how he's saying, he's, is he's saying to the church in Philippi, you gotta get this. It's a statement of, of importance. I want you to grasp this. I don't want you to miss this. Brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Right there, you begin to see that he had thought something was going to happen differently than what had happened. In fact, where the verse says it turned out is probably better translated, rather. I had an idea things were going to go this way, rather they went this way. But... The gospel is progressing greater. God had a better plan. My circumstances, despite what you, what you think, have rather turned out to be quite different. In fact, God has saw fit, is what he's trying to tell the church in Philippi and trying to tell us 2,000 years later, there's been a greater progress of the gospel than if it was done my way. That's astounding, isn't it? It's so hard when things don't go our way, right, men? <laughs> we lay our plans. We, we put them down the way we think things should go. And when they don't turn out, frustration often hits us, doesn't it? See, why the character of Paul is so intriguing to us is he says, despite my circumstances, despite the plan that I had, the gospel is better this way. It's going farther. 
See, he loves the progression of the gospel. That is what his life is about. It is about Jesus Christ and his truths reaching places that, that he could not have seen them go. He's going to talk about the Praetorium Guard here in the palace, the governor's palace. I don't think he imagined when he wrote in Romans that I long to see you, long to come and be with you, that he was thinking that his ministry would reach deep into the governor's mansion. He, he never saw that. But because he said, God, your way is better than my way, if you allow circumstances into my life, Different than what I have planned, I will trust that you're going to further the gospel in ways that I did not see. It's astounding. I don't think Paul knew all this stuff. I, I, I don't think he was scripting this out. I think he was hanging and clinging on to the Lord. Do you remember in Acts chapter 9 when, when Ananias was afraid of him and the Lord spoke to Ananias? And the Lord said, Look, go, go to him, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I mean, that, Ananias, I know you're scared of this man. I know you've heard what he has done, but I'm going to do something with him that he doesn't even understand. I'm going to put him in front of kings and princes. I'm going to put him in their palaces. I'm going to put him in places that you could never imagine that the gospel would go. Remember that early church? They're scared. They're meeting in secret. They're, they're afraid to step out because if they get step out, their name gets out there. They come. They get papers on them. They hunt them down. They kill them and put them in prison. One or the other happens. And Ananias says, I'm scared of this man. He says, no, he's an instrument of mine. And he will bear my name. That's a very important little phrase there. What does that mean? He will shove my glory, my person of who I am out front of kings and nations and rulers. I'm going to put the name of Christ in front of Felix and Agrippa. And it'll all go all the way to Caesar's palace because I'm going to use this man to push him out front. Next verse says, for I will show him how much he must suffer again for my name's sake. Paul wrote to, or said to the Ephesian elders as they met him as he was on the way to Rome um, in his imprisonment. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, just listen to this. He says, but I do not consider my life of an account as dear to myself. Boy, I read that verse again. I've read it, I don't know how many times I've read Acts chapter 20. And I said, Lord, we are so, our lives are so dear to ourselves. We think about ourselves constantly. We think about what other people think about ourselves. It's, it's innate to us. It's part of our fallen nature to constantly be consumed with how people think about us and, and, and what we look like and how people are going to perceive us and how our words can get changed and how we don't like that. Paul says, I do not consider my life as any account dear to myself. And then he gives a reason why he thinks that way. This is verse 24 of Acts 20. So that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I said, well, that's the answer, Lord, isn't it? How do men and women Step into ministry and, and pursue when there's so much difficulty. 
today in our missions prayer time before church. I listen to the missionary updates just one after another. There's so much against them. Governments are against them. Families are against them. Congo are finally have got a medical ward up and they're trying to help people so they give them the gospel and, and, and the, the other medical places that are in Lumbashi have started a rumor that they're taking their blood and giving them diseases to try to stop them because they take away from their income. They've been adopting babies into the United States and so they started a rumor about their adoption agency that they're that they're taking the babies and selling parts to the United States. It's war out there when it comes to the gospel. And, and I think what makes men and women who, who are truly desiring the Lord is they, they get to a point where they say, my life is not mine, Lord, just do as you please. Do as you please. And I think Paul had got there. And I think that's what he means when he says it's turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This word progress is uh, prokope is the word. And it means to move forward with great resistance. That's the word he chose to tell how the gospel is going forward. Moving forward with great resistance. It's leaning into it to see that the gospel goes forward. How did Paul have joy? How do you have joy in that? Don't you get tired of leaning into resistance? God gave him tremendous joy for it. He wrote to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 8 and 9. He says the, these words. There are so many verses. I just try to pick out a few. He said this, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective service has opened to me. Doesn't that sound great? And then he writes the last phrase. He says, and there are many adversaries. I mean, I love the first part. Hey, there's, there's great doors opening. Paul's, Paul's going forward with the gospel. Oh, there's great adversaries. There's great adversaries. You're a missionary in India, and the state you're in passes a law that is illegal to convert people to Christianity. And if you do, you go to jail. Hmm, should we stay or should we go to another state where it's not so hard? Me staying and Theo. Preaching the gospel, training men, sending out pastors into the villages to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 13. He says, so that my imprisonment, or your Bible may say chains or bond, it is the, the Greek word is for um, being restrained. Right? Not being free to do what you like. <clears throat> in the cause of Christ, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Paul says that his goal is the cause of Christ. What's his goal? Can we have that in life? Can we say that our ministries, you know, I, I know it's easier for me to, to say this because this is what I do for a living, but, uh, but I'm trying to think beyond that, Lord. Um, is, it, is it possible for us to have life that the reason for life is for the cause of Christ? 
What does that look like in my job, my neighborhood, my family? I think you have to wrestle through that. John Bunyan, um, a great writer of the 1600s, uh, he was a preacher as well. He, he was just a layman. He l- loved Christ and he began to preach. And they hated his preaching. <laughs> uh, particularly the Church of England hated his preaching. Not, not just people who hated God. The Church of England hated his preaching. And so they said, arrest him. Because the Church of England was tied with government, right? They had come together because the government would give the church indulgences and so the church would bless the government and so there was a relationship there that was pretty, pretty bad if you didn't fit into that slot. Bunyan didn't fit into it. He said salvation comes through Christ alone. You cannot come through the church. You cannot come through your inheritance. You cannot come through money. You come through Jesus alone. They had to silence him because that was hurting their church and so they threw him in prison Bunyan quickly started a preaching ministry within the prison. When they let him out into the courtyards, he would preach, and he preached with such volume that neighboring towns would come and stand outside the walls of the prison and hear him preach. They said, well, this isn't working. So they found the most inner spot, a dungeon inside of the prison, and they locked him in there where no one could hear him. And he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And for a 100 years... Everyone had the book, Program's Progress, with them. And it is one of the clearest allegories of how a person comes to know Jesus Christ and walks through this life and enters heaven. See, Paul says, look, my imprisonment comes for the cause of Christ. And, and you and I learn that God allows circumstances into our life and we can either say, why is this happening to me? Or can you say, Lord, can I be a part of the cause of Christ for this? Can I accept the difficulties? Remember Joseph? He kind of had this problem, didn't he? Hey, brothers, let me tell you about a dream. Listen, dreamer, we're selling you. They sold him. They sold their brother. We can imagine this, can't we, in our flesh? I had a couple of brothers that I would have liked to got rid of growing up. <laughs> They sold him. He goes to be a slave. He's doing a great job. The wife makes up a story. He ends up in prison for years. He ends up running the prison because he's, God gave him favor even in the prison. And finally, his brothers come and all is revealed that the second in command of all of the world at this time. Because if you remember, Pharaoh was running the world, but the world had sold everything it had to get food because Joseph, God used Joseph to declare how, how they were going to survive the famine. And they were afraid, and they came to Joseph after Joseph revealed who he was, and they knew he, they were dead. And Joseph said this in chapter 45, 8, he said, Now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. They get a little nervous later. Jacob dies, right? Dad dies. Chapter 50, verse 20, he's laying out blessings upon the tribes of the Israel because all those brothers, there's 12 of them, there are going to be 12 tribes of Israel. And after dad falls asleep, he dies, they say, uh-oh, Joseph's going to whack us. And Joseph says in chapter 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant it evil against me. And I think that's important. You have to understand, 
a lot of evil things happen to good people. But the rest of the verse tells you why. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See, we often look at the circumstances that God puts in our lives and we go, that's not fair, God. What about him? What about her? And what, what Paul does and what we learn to love about this man, because he loves Christ and he directs our attention there, I, say, I can say we love this man, is that he accepts what God has. He accepts and says, look, I asked you, God, I wrote it in divine inspired letters to go and visit the church. I went, I wanted to go and, 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 and be in present with them and to learn how they came to know Jesus and to encourage them and strengthen their souls. But you sent me in chains. I accept that, Lord. It's amazing. And look what he does. He, in this verse, verse 13, he says, there's two things, there's two results of this. The cause of Christ from my imprisonment have, have happened in, in that, that Christ is known through the whole Praetorian guard. Your, your Bible may say the governor's palace. And, and we did a little history as we were looking at this book of Philippians and we worked through Acts, the latter chapters of Acts. And you can just see he's, he's going before the heads of Israel He's going for the heads of local government through, and then to, to state government and then into national government. In every one of them, he proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in chains. Acts chapter 28, verse 20 says, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. You could see him standing there giving the gospel out. Chains, I'm wearing these for Christ. You want to know why Paul had such joy? He accepted what God gave him. You want to know why we don't have joy? Because we don't accept what God gives us. And we lose our joy. Second, it says there in the text that he, that not only was it the entire palace, but through probably the default of the inspired letters that he wrote, the joyful gospel went out to everyone else. And you and I here thousands of years later are reading the testimony of Paul. I trust our hearts are being encouraged that, that he loved the Lord so much and he pushed Christ out front in every one of his situations and you and I are encouraged by that. I, I think it's probably, in the context, it's probably local, meaning everyone that's ever he sees and everyone he's involved with, he's putting Christ in front of them. And he has so much joy because of that. Look at chapter four, verse 22. This way he closes out the letter. This is effective ministry, folks. Verse 22, he closes the letter this way that before he says, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit be with you. He says, all the saints greet you. Now look at this. Especially those of Caesar's house. Can you imagine saying, hey, especially those from the Obama administration? Wow. I, I, I don't think we think kind of that big, do we? We're not talking about kind people and having your best interest type people in Caesar's house. 
especially being a nation of Jews among many nations who are their captives. And God has given favor to Paul's ministry. Look at verse 14 with me. And that most of the brethren trust in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Certainly the goal of the opposition was to silence Paul, silence the growth of the church. That was what Paul actually joined when his name was Saul, right? He joined he was part of the Pharisees and the religious leaders in order to stop the way from growing, which was called the church. Now he is part of the church, he's preaching the gospel, and there's a growing opposition against them. So certainly the opposition was to silence him, silence this bold proclamation that salvation comes through Jesus Christ, who we put on a cross and killed him. They're trying to silence that. And Paul says just the opposite's happening. Men are growing more bold. That's, that's history. You, you can study down through church history. And I know there's times in church history we have a hard time finding the church in some of those dark ages. But during the most suppressive times, the gospel seems to embolden the most unlikely people to become those who herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says... My imprisonment is emboldening others. We've watched this last week. Circumstances within our nation embolden people to do things that we don't quite understand why they do them. But yet they seem to be emboldened, right? And it starts in Ferguson and it works its way to San Diego. And the destructiveness comes and stuff and, and it's a whole nother debate but you go wow how does something that seems so wrong embolden people and yet as Christians we have what those folks need and yet we fail to share the gospel we fail to be a part of those things that push the gospel forward See, see, that's why Paul had joy and he said, look, my circumstances did not turn out the way I thought they were. Oh, but there's so much better stuff happening. I, I think in some ways Paul's saying, I really shot kind of low. I just wanted to come and visit the church and encourage them. God wanted to save people in Caesar's palace. And this is what happens to us. We shoot too low. God says, I have something so much better. Think of the ramifications of the church as time went on because people in upper positions got saved. Some of the freedoms that it brought. A man would stand up in a court battle and say, you know what, those people haven't harmed. And they came to defense because they came to know Jesus Christ. Or, or they left that position and, and that gave them opportunity to say why they left it. Notice, because of Paul's circumstance, the brethren are trusting the Lord. Look what it says. They're trusting the Lord. The brethren are trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. They're trusting in the Lord. There's some of you in here, and I know your circumstances, you had different plans, and God said, I have something else I want you to do. And you need to trust me. 
You need to trust me. And it's been beautiful to watch some of you do that. Almost a blind step of faith in some and say, okay, God, I'll walk with you in this way. I'll take this job. I'll accept this illness. I'll I'll chase down this that you want me to be a part of. You've done it with boldness and and courageously and you speak the word of God without fear in those places because God has given that circumstance and that time for you. Don't miss it when he gives it because it still happens today. This still happens today. People are emboldened because others suffer. You can't go to Haiti, is he right? And not come back and say, God, I'm thankful. You can't, you can't do it. Not, not, not all of us have seen that, have they? You, you don't know what it's like. You haven't seen how difficult it is around the world and see babies playing in filth. I was telling somebody this week, uh, uh, when I was in India, you come across this river that's flowing in. First from a long distance, it looks, oh, look at all the people living along the river. Well, the river's sewage. And the only place they can live is on the river and the kids play in it. And you go, Lord, this is so far from my reality. And so you go and you give and you get a part of this stuff. See, this is what causes joy. Second thought, despite impure motives of others, Paul rejoices at the furtherance of the gospel. Well, if having your circumstances greatly changed was not enough, now you have people who are using the gospel out of spite to suppress your ministry in order to make themselves look better and you receive that? Look look what Paul does, look at verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some for goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. They, they, they're carrying on. They'll say, look, Paul, while you're in change, we're going to carry it. We're going to take the gospel. We know that you are in change. You're not able to do it. So we're, we love the Lord, and we love you, and we're going to be a part of this. But look at verse 17. He explains a little farther. The person, people at verse 15, he says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, you begin to realize these characteristics that Paul has in his life of loving Christ through difficulties are beyond your imagination at times. There's so much joy in him because he looks at this and he's going, wow, hey, there's two different groups of people taking advantage of my imprisonment. And I want to be clear, Paul is not dealing with false teachers here. He writes about false teachers. Beware of dogs. I mean, he, he's very clear, and we'll see that later in the text, in chapter 3, um, of how he feels about false teachers, people who are not preaching the true gospel. He's actually speaking about people who are actually not false teachers. This is more hurtful. You can take the attacks from the occults of the world. I got a phone call the other day from an occult in town, and I just picked it up. Michael actually put it through to me, and I, very nice. And hey, how can I help you? And he just just went crazy on the phone. And I tried to get a word in, and he would scream and yell at me. And man, I said, hey, I'm just going to pray for you, brother. 
don't know who you are, but you need Jesus, and if you reject him and don't see him as God, you're, he's going to be your judge, and I'm going to pray for you. Nah, and then it would just, you know, you know kind of just kind of hang up the phone. <laughs> that's, that's, that's understood, right? But what Paul's dealing with is coming from within. These are people he knows. These are people who are looking at Paul's imprisonment as a chance to further themselves. The big guy's down. Now we're going to take some of the glory. You've got to remember, there's people that look at the gospel and preaching very differently than we look at it. I'll give you an example. One Years early in my ministry, we're in Lake City. I remember a young kind of middle-aged, well, middle-aged guy showed up to church and he came for four or five, six weeks in a row. He sat there and he'd listen to me. Didn't have a Bible. Didn't communicate with many people. Um, but finally, after a month, five weeks, six weeks, he came up to me after church. He goes, hey, how'd you get this gig? I said, you, you mean being a pastor? What do you mean? This preaching thing and, and being up front and, and getting all that money they put in that thing. I said, oh, oh, how did I become this? And, and I began to explain the process. And, and, and quickly I realized he was a man. He had been unemployed for a long time. And he, and he looked at that and he said, these people really like you. And he began to desire that position. And, and uh, so I sat him down, shared the gospel with him, and he clearly wasn't interested in any of those things. But he saw it as a means of gains. And, and that's what the, Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with people that he knows that while Paul is imprisoned and can't be free, they want to take advantage of it to bring some of the glory to themselves, preaching the same gospel that Paul preaches, but with different motives. That's the key here. And that's hard. That's what's very hurtful when you think about this. This would be one that we love that would turn on you and, and say, I'm going to go do this to get even with you or to, to gain some credibility or take it away from you to try to discredit you or in here particularly discredit Paul. Look at the words he uses. Look, they do it out of envy is the first word. This means men were jealous of Paul's God-given position and ministry, his position and influence. They were envious of Paul. We want what you have. I think that word is somewhat easy to understand. The second word, strife, is maybe a little word that's uh, it's a little more different. Comes, it's a Greek word, eris, eris, uh, uh out of the original language. And it means to bring discord and discontent and is often translated for the word quarrel. So some of these men were preaching Christ in order to bring division I'm going to go get some of Paul's followers and break them my followers. See, Paul had seen this before. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 real quickly. He had seen this before. There was a battle in the Corinth church over this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11, look at this. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. There's our word. That's the same Greek word. Strife. Now look what he, what look was happening. Verse 12, I now mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul. <coughs> and I have Apollos. And I have Cephas. And I have Christ. Verse 13, has Christ been divided? He's asking a very rhetorical question. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? 
Or were you baptized, identified into Christ by the name of Paul? See, he's, he's appalled, Paul is appalled at division within the church, that there's people following certain people. And yet, as you turn back to 1 Corinthians, that's exactly what's going on in this text. Uh, first, uh, excuse me, uh, first chapter of Philippians. Look at 15 with me. But some are doing it out of good motives. I love that little phrase. I'm glad he told us this. There's some doing it out of good will. They love the Lord. Look at that in verse 16. They realize that, that Paul is just living out what God appointed him to do. They get it. So some people said this. They said, um, well, Paul's in trouble. God is asking a lot of Paul. He's in prison now. He is not free like he has been. So let's, let's, pick, up, let's pick up where he left off. Let's love the Lord. And, and I think Paul's really encouraged by this. Some of, these, some of these men here particularly, they said, he can't do what he's been free to do, so let's do it. I, I think that's really cool. I, I want to meet these guys. They, they realize Paul has a calling that's different than ours. He's going to go before kings and princes and the heads of Israel. He's going to suffer greatly. We understand that. Let's pick up the banner. And they did. They picked up the banner. And they went out and done it. But there were others, as we see, that, that were doing it out of a, a very selfish ambition in verse 17. See, Paul's not naive. He knows what's going on. He knows that there's a tendency for immature believers to do things that are godless. He wrote to, second, he wrote to Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, he says, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and you may find me not to be what you wished, that perhaps there is strife and jealousy and angry tempers and disputes and slanders and gossips and arrogance and disturbances among you. See, he knows the immature. He knows this. But look what he says in verse 18. What then? Should we just quit? No, he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense, a misguided notion or, or, or a, uh, an ill-guided desire to gain fame or, or, or to be selfish in this or in the truth. These men who did it out of love. He says Christ is proclaimed. Man, that is just awesome. He, he is so thankful that no matter how these guys are going about it, that the name of Christ is going forward. It's amazing ability to say that. Most of us couldn't. Most of us would be so hurt and bothered by that people would take advantage of a, of a difficult situation. But Paul says, no. If Christ is proclaiming, he's, and notice what he does. And in this present tense, I rejoice. I rejoice that the name of Christ is going forward. Whether it's because of wrong motives or because of deep love for Jesus, I'm glad his name is out there while I'm in here. And if that is enough, notice what he does. The end of verse 18. Yes, I will, future tense, rejoice. See, he sees as long as the name of Christ is going forward, there's going to be something worth rejoicing about. 
MacArthur says this, whether the gospel was proclaimed by jealous, hurtful preachers or those who were faithful in humbly preaching the gospel with pure motives, it was accurately proclaimed, it bore fruit, and Paul could only rejoice. That was his view. Paul had this gracious attitude. He grasped that there was something greater going on. And that was just my last thought as I wrote in my notes, and then I just want to give you a couple encouraging thoughts to to help produce joy. But my last thought was, Lord, if we can get to the point where we see that you are doing something greater through our circumstances, maybe we don't understand how it's all gonna work out because we thought plan A was a good plan, but you chose plan B. If we can get to the point where we can say, God, you have a greater view of what is going on here. Your, your progression of the gospel, your advancement of the gospel, the way you choose is better than what I choose. I think that's where joy comes from. Well, let me close with just some thoughts of how to have joy from our text today. I want to start with four things that rob joy, then give you four things that give you joy. One, first thing that robs joy comes right out of our text. I lose joy when I'm not actively involved in the progression of the gospel. You want to lose joy? Don't be involved in the gospel. Be involved in godless things or just just things of the world, whatever. Be involved in those things and you'll lose joy. If you're not involved in the active advancement of the gospel, you'll lose joy. I'm writing these personally. Another way my joy is robbed, my circumstances are greater to me than the gospel. I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances. What I'm going through, what God has asked me to go through, those are more important to me than the advancement of the gospel. I'll lose joy every time because you just get consumed in your circumstance. Three, when you become envious of others, Jealousy is a difficult, difficult sin. And it will, I promise you, it'll rob the joy that you have in Jesus. When you become envious or jealous of others, what God is doing in their lives or what he has given them, you'll lose joy. Fourth and last here for robbing joy is that when your motives are something other than Christ, you will lose joy. Lord, I went to church, blessed my business, I gave money, you should give me what I want. See, impure motives will rob you of the joy of Jesus because you're not doing it for his glory. You have another motive. I think those are clearly seen within the text here. But let me give you four positive joy-giving ones that, that I think Paul gets great joy from here. Look at this, one, be a part of the advancement of the gospel. I promise you, you'll have joy if you find ways to be a part of the advancing of the gospel. Come to permissions prayer. Sit down and pray with us over missionaries and understand what they're going through and how you can help be a part of the advancement of the gospel. Find mission trips and go to Hades. Find a missionary and, and, and dive into how you can care for them. How can you share the gospel on the job? 
looking for how you can advance the gospel, and it may fall flat, you may share the gospel at work, and that person turn you in, or you get punched in the nose, or someone just not be your friend anymore, and you find yourself out of a circle, but I promise you will have joy. I promise you, you'll have joy when you share the gospel. It is to this date and the most joyful thing in my life, and I'm not talking just about my pulpit ministry. It's in Safeway when I share the gospel with somebody there or somebody on my front step. I find so much joy just in daily saying, hey, if you put your faith in Jesus, he'll set you free from your sins. And that person could laugh at me and walk away, and there's joy there. I don't even understand why it's so joyful, but it is. I promise you. Two, ask God to help you advance the gospel in your circumstances. First one is to advance the gospel just generally. But the second one I think is really a joy giver. That in your circumstances, what God has asked you, that may be financial circumstances, that may be health circumstances, that may be job circumstances, that may be family circumstances, within that circum, when the circle of those circumstances, that you advance the gospel in that circle, I promise you'll find joy. Does that make sense? I think to some of you who are going through hard things, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Three, love others for the sake of the gospel. Look at your neighbor and realize they are hellbound if left in their current state. Love them enough this Christmas to go over and take a plate of cookies in the Gospel of John. Invite them to the Christmas Eve Eve service. I promise you the gospel will be shared there. Love others for the sake of the gospel. We all have friends outside of the community of believers. Do we love them enough to share salvation for them? Paul loved men who were in Caesar's court. He loved the guards who were chained to him. Guards came to know Christ because Paul loved them. Love those who are in your circle. And then last, to gain great joy, preach the gospel to, your every, to yourself every day and at the end of it say, God, I rejoice in this. Every day say, God, you chose me. I was a wretched sinner. I did not deserve salvation with you, but you chose me from the foundations of the world. You drew me to yourself. You have given me salvation. And I, Lord, ask that I rejoice in that statement. Tell yourself that every day. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. You do that every day, I promise you will have joy. Joy that people around you will see. Father, we stand and marvel, first of all, at you. That you would come in the form of your son, accept humanity to your divine nature, live among heathens, pagans, Die for the sake of all other sins because you had none. And yet call multitudes of people to yourself. We marvel at you, Lord Jesus. We marvel at the Apostle Paul's Lord. Men and women 
who have been given difficult circumstances and have great joy in it. I marvel at it, Lord. You've given them great gifts of faith and great discernment, Lord. And we thank you that you've placed them among us. You've placed them among the church, Lord. You will endow them with great gifts, Lord, someday. Father, but lastly and more importantly, I thank you for us. Each one of us, Lord. We're not Apostle Paul's. We may not be going through the most difficult circumstances, but you have given us reason every moment of our life to be joyful. May we, by your providence, accept that and be reminded of that on a daily basis when things seem hectic and raising children is difficult and striving to have a godly marriage is is difficult at times, Lord. May we stop and say, this isn't worth it. Arguing and fighting and separations, they're not worth it. We have a Savior who died for us. Let's follow him. Let's rejoice in him. So Lord, I, I pray for us this morning. Regular Joes, living regular lives, that we would be those who advance the gospel, advance it in our circumstances, love the loss, and preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We want that joy, Lord. And I know you'll give it to us. And we, like Paul, will say, yes, I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.